summary book, a summary chapter, a summary something that would sum up everything the Lord has given for you to do in your life and ministry. What is the one main thing? What is the big idea? What is, what is the one thing God has given you to do in your life? I would say it would be found in the book of Acts in chapter number 19, where we're going to be at today. In fact, I've already been talking to the Lord that he's got to make it so it's not my message, but it's his message tonight. You need to hear from him. But this is a passage that fully describes, that, that declares the heartbeat that the Lord has given me, the very clear idea, the very main thing the Lord has given me as a preacher and, and the life and ministry that God has put me steward over is this passage here in the book of Acts in chapter number 19. So hopefully you've taken some time to find the book of Acts and chapter number 19. And look with me, if you wouldn't mind, starting in verse number 1. Acts 19 and verse number 1, the Word of God says this, And it came to pass, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. And he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were you baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that should come after him that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about twelve. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. But when the diverse were hardened and believed not, but spake evil of that way before the multitudes, he departed from them and separated the disciples, disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. And this continued by the space of two years, so that all they that dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto sick handkerchiefs or apron. The diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out from them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them, which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Scivia, a Jew and chief of the priest, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on upon them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this was known to all of the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all in the name of the Lord, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also which used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men, and they counted the price of them and found it fifty thousand pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit that he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. So he went into Macedonia, two of them, or he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered to him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. And the same time there arose no small stir about that way. For certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he had called together the workmen of like occupation, and said, Sirs, ye know by this craft we have, have our wealth. 
Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised, and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they had heard these sayings, they were full of wrath, and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion, and having caught Gaius and Artisticus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed in one accord into the theater. And when Paul entered in the people, uh, into the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia, which were his friends, sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself into the theater. Some therefore cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they had come together. And they drew Alexander out of the multitude, the Jews putting him forward. And Alexander beckoned with his hand and would have made his defense unto the people. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Acts in chapter number 19? Acts in chapter number 19, and notice in verse number 9 the phrase, the school of one Tyrannus. The school of one Tyrannus. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to subtitle this message, uh, of this message of the school of one Tyrannus, the subtitle, The Benefits of Training People for the Ministry. The benefits of training people for the ministry. The benefits of training people for the ministry. Let's pray if you wouldn't mind. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you now, I'm just asking that you would just give us wisdom, that you would give us discernment, that you would give us grace and mercy. And as I've already mentioned before, Lord, I'm asking that this would not be my message. This would be your message to your people to give them an understanding of this passage and the importance of training men and women for the ministry that maybe I could just for a moment just explain what you have given me to do that they could get a vision themselves and that they could join up and see the direction that we should go. And in this message specifically, we can see the benefits, the things that's going to happen because of the emphasis of training men and women for the ministry. Lord, once again, I beg that you fill me with your spirit. I surrender myself now. Give me the strength, the mindset. Do everything, Lord, that it would be clear to your folks and that people can decide to be obedient to your clear word. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Paul is on his third missionary journey, if I remember correctly. Maybe he's on his second. But he has traveled through a place that we know as Turkey. They called it Asia Minor or Asia during this time. And he's traveled around the coast and he's landed at the metropolitan area of Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the chief cities of the ancient world. It was a great port city. It was a great religious city. It was one of the religious hubs of the world. And it was here that the Apostle Paul parked for a while. He started the church of Ephesus, which became one of the most famous churches of the first century. And it was in this uh, church of Ephesus he started a Bible institute. And he started to train men and women for the ministry. And an amazing thing happened that by the time two years were up, all of the uh, place of Asia, of Asia Minor, or what we now know as Turkey, everyone in Turkey, the entire country, had heard about Jesus Christ in two years. Because of this Bible institute that was going on. Because of the idea of discipleship. Because of the idea of training men and women for the ministry. An amazing thing. Just imagine in a feat that just take a place like like Wisconsin. What an amazing thing would happen in two years time that everyone in Wisconsin 
had heard the gospel. Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? Wouldn't that be uh, just a great feat? Wouldn't that be God working? Well, here we see it happens because of an emphasis of training men and women for the ministry, training them, disciple them, teach them to go so that everyone could hear the word of God. Now, I want to remind you that whereas everyone heard the word of God doesn't mean that everyone got saved. But at least everyone had the opportunity to hear the gospel and make a decision for themselves to either accept or reject it. But when this happens, there are benefits, there are things that occur for training men and women for the ministry. And if you wouldn't mind, I'd like to take chapter 19 here, and I'd like to show you several things, some of the benefits of training men and women for the ministry. The first benefit I'd like to show you, the first thing is that people need to be taught doctrine. People need to be taught doctrine. The word doctrine just means our belief and teachings. Some people say doctrine is boring. Doctrine is not boring. Doctrine is exciting. To be able to understand what you believe and why you believe it. Uh, the Lord has allowed the privilege to be, uh, me the privilege to be able to do creation seminars over the years. And one of the things that kind of just drove me bonkers was that atheists, at least they could sort of try to defend what they believe. They're wrong, but they could, evolutionists, they're wrong, but at least they try to explain what they believe. Whereas an average Christian person, if you ask them what they believe and why, they can't tell you. Well, why do you believe this? Because my pastor believes it. Why do you believe this? Because my parents do. Why do you believe this? Because the church tells me so. And they can't explain from the Bible, they can't explain to someone biblically and defend their position. Why do you believe this? Because the Bible says this. Why do you believe this? Because the Bible says this. The Bible says in uh, 2 Timothy that what's going to happen at the last days is that people are going to be blown around with every wind of doctrine. That what's going to happen is that that something good, it sounds good, so they're going to blow this way, and then something else sounds good, and they're going to get blown this way. And there's no anchor. People do not know what to believe or why they believe it. That's Christianity today. But when we're taking active time to train men and women for the ministry, doctrine has to be taught. We have to teach people what they believe and why they believe it, and it's going to strengthen them. Notice what occurs here, starting in verse number 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul was passing through the upper coast of Ephesus and finding certain disciples. So Paul is wandering around. He's uh, just left Corinth and he's heading to the next place. And he gets to uh, um, Ephesus and he runs into 12 guys. And they say that they're believers. So he says, hey, I like believers. And they start talking. And in the midst of the discussion, he said to them, verse number two, he said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. That's a good question. You know what he was asking them? Are you 100% sure that you're filled with the Holy Spirit right now? You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is a definite experience. But it is something most Christians do not experience. One, because they're not taught. Two, they don't know how. Three, they don't seek for it. But you can be filled with God's Spirit. You can know for sure. And it's not something mystical. It's not something spooky. It's not whatever else. But it's something you know God's in charge. And when he said, are you filled with the Holy Spirit right now? Or have you? And they said, we haven't even heard of this Holy Spirit. He says, all right, you said you're believers. Let's backtrack. When did you believe? What happened? Verse number three. And he said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. And he goes, ah, there's, there's the thing. See, these people were saying they were believers, but when he tracked, them back they said we were baptized by john he said all right here here's where the problem is verse four and then paul said john verily baptized with a baptism of repentance saying to all the people that they should believe on him that shall come after that is on christ jesus when john the baptist was preaching in the wilderness what he was doing is he was laying the foundation. He was pointing people to Christ, but his well, no baptism saves, but his baptism was just a repentance, trying to prepare people's heart for when he said, Behold the Lamb of God, they would instantly go to him. Well, these people had been baptized by John. They had had a desire to repent, but they had never heard the name of Jesus. 
So Paul says, let's take a second, let me explain. John was looking to Jesus. And they said, oh, that was Jesus? Oh, then let's accept him. And they accepted him, and they proved it by being rebaptized. Remember, baptism only occurs after you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior. So here's a case where they had to be rebaptized, even though it was John's baptism. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't the correct picture. You get baptized after you're saved because baptism is a picture of what Jesus did for us, that he died, was buried, and that he rose again. And so they eagerly, they say, yes, we want that. We want to accept Jesus. Now, these were people that before they thought they were believers. They thought they were disciples. But because of doctrine, they were confused about doctrine. Paul cleared up doctrine and it helped them. Notice verse 5. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. So there's 12 guys. They understood doctrine and God worked. And we understand that one of the first benefits of training people in the ministry is that people need to be taught doctrine. That so many people are confused. They got false doctrine. If you get your doctrine from Hollywood, it's wrong doctrine. I dare say that if you get your doctrine from the radio, you are mixed up and you have false doctrine. If you come from different churches, I know that there's some good churches, but you need to be careful. A lot of churches don't teach doctrine and don't put an emphasis on it. And there's probably some things you're confused about that you don't even know you're confused about. I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to say no at all. I'm just saying that when we we have to teach the Bible and when we teach the Bible one of the benefits is that people learn doctrine and they're able to explain from the Bible not their thoughts not their opinions not this is what I heard some radio guy said this or whatever here I had a dream I had too much pepperoni pizza and so I believe this you need to know what you believe and why because of the Bible you need to be able to open up the Bible and say this is what I believe and why And when we take time to train men and women for the ministry, one of the benefits is it strengthens up the entire church because people have to be taught doctrine. Now, a second thing we see here, a second benefit that we see when we train men and women for the ministry is not only that the people are taught doctrine, but also this, that it helps us to obey the Great Commission to every creature. It helps us to obey the Great Commission to reach every creature. Remember the last couple days I put great emphasis on this miracle multiplication that we're supposed to go out and tell every creature and God expects us to do it within our own lifetime. And that we're supposed to go out, we're supposed to tell everyone and when we train men and women for the ministry what happens we're able to accomplish it. It helps us to accomplish it. Notice as it goes on in verse number 8. And he went into the synagogue and spake boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. Now, Paul always went to the synagogue first because these are people who are familiar with the Bible and it gave them something to work on. Remember, when we teach people, we always go from the known to the unknown. So he goes to people who at least have the Old Testament scriptures and he starts with them and begins to teach them from what they know and shows them Jesus. And for about three months, he's at the temple, uh, at the synagogue, teaching almost every day, asking questions. He's persuading. People are getting convinced. Some people are saying this guy's crazy, but he's working for three months. Verse 9, but when the diverse were hardened, so after a while people hardened their hearts and they just rejected the gospel. And notice this, and believed not, but spake evil of that way. If you are not in the habit of the book of Acts to circle or mark where it says the way, I want you to get in the habit of doing that. Now, back in the early part of Acts, there was no such word as Christianity. We didn't call it Christianity. People who followed Jesus were called the followers of the way. And that was because of John 14, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man go to the Father but by me. And so those who were Christians, they just said that they were a part of the way. Those are the followers of the way. And so what's happening is that uh, they spake evil of the way. They said, oh, you 
ugly Christians, you don't know anything. And they, they were speaking bad about Christianity before the multitudes. So when they finally rejected it, he departed from them and separated the disciples. So he took all those people who believed in Jesus and disputing daily in the school of one Tyrannus. So what happened is that Paul said he went from the the synagogue after they rejected him he took all those who accepted christ he rented out a school of one tyrannus and began to teach every day a bible institute basically this is one of the first bible institutes in the new testament here he's actually training men and women he's teaching them he's working with them every day he's working with the disciples answering questions he's uh this word disputing here has the idea uh of answering questions and teaching and to to uh take the time to make give understanding and this continued by the space of two years so he ran this bible institute for two years so that they that dwelt in asia so all this area of turkey heard the word of the lord both the jews and the greeks what would happen during this time is that people would come in and they would take a class they would talk with paul they would ask questions and then what they would do is they would go back home and as they went back home they told everyone they saw about the way about what paul had taught them until finally in two years years time an entire continent or an entire country had heard about jesus christ isn't that amazing you see when you start being taught doctrine when you start going to school when you start learning what happens is that you start to become knowledgeable on it and you're able to talk to others and you want to talk about others. You start getting excited about the Bible. The Bible becomes not something boring that you know you just have to listen to for a while. I mean, it's something you want to start searching into. Let me tell you, when you catch on fire for the Bible, you want to learn more. You want to dig more. Oh, teach me. Man, it just as a young uh, Bible kid, students, they just shut up and teach me. Just teach me. You know, they're telling each other, shut up. I want to learn. You know, one of the things about students, just kind of a little side thing, as long as you're talking, you are not listening. As long as you think you know a subject, you're not going to learn. People just need to get back to be teachable. Just teach me the Bible. Just open up. Man, I can't tell you how many, forgive the personal illustrations, how many men of God I've sat at their feet and just said, teach me something. Just teach me. And just let them tell me what's currently on their mind, just what they've been reading, what's God's currently dealing with them. Just to be quiet and just allow someone just to feed you and just to dump the stuff and to, oh, what a wonderful thing. You know, that's what, People started catching on fire because they started saying, wow, there's so much more I could learn. Oh, teach me now. Teach me now. And they begin to grow and they begin to get excited and they want to tell others. Oh, let me tell you what I just learned from the Bible. I can't. I got to tell someone this is great. And they want to tell people what they learned from God's word. Oh, it was an exciting thing. Notice as it goes on. Verse 11. And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that by his body brought uh, the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and diseases and spirits were departed out of them. There was all kinds of things going on. But what happened is that through all of this, people heard the word of God. And they had the chance for themselves to either accept or reject what the Bible said about Jesus Christ. When we start teaching men and women for the ministry, it helps us to obey the Bible and the Great Commission to get the gospel to every creature by multiplying our efforts, by it not be just dependent on pastor, but it's everyone who hears the word of God. They can explain it themselves and teach someone and be excited about it. You know, if you just got excited about the Bible and you told the people, man, let me tell you what I'm learning at church. Oh, man, every time I go there, I learn something new. You know, the people around you will get curious enough to come. Man, what's he so excited about? I mean, every time he comes back, he's always saying about this preacher who taught him this and taught him that. Man, I'm learning so much. People are looking for that type of church. They're looking for something like that. And if you would catch on fire and say, man, I can't wait to tell someone about what I learned this week. 
Let me take a pause here. Charles Spurgeon was known as the Prince of Preachers. And uh, it's over 120 years after his death. And he is still the best uh, or the most best-selling preacher today. More people buy Charles Spurgeon books than any other preacher alive or dead right now. He is called the Prince of Preachers. He preached at the London Metropolitan Tabernacle. And a lot of people believe that, you know, have the idea that, man, he preached and they filled the house. And by the way, they did. But what happened when he preached during the week, 3,000 people took his message, his exact message he preached on Sunday and preached it out throughout London during the week. Why? They just got excited about the Bible and they went throughout the entire city of London say, let me tell you what my preacher taught. Point one, point two, point, you know, and they just told exactly what the preacher said. There's no copyright. This is why we tell you to take notes. Take it. Teach someone else with it. But if you get excited about it, other people will go, wow, there must be something to this. Like I said, you want to fill this church up. You get excited about it and start telling people about what you're learning here and how you love to hear the preaching and how it's opening up. Other people will come just out of curiosity to see what it's like. We just need to get excited about it. I'm it. I'm sorry. I keep pausing and stuff. You know, we live in social media day. When's the last time? Now, don't do it just because I said so. But when's the last time you got excited and said, let me tell you what I learned at church last night and posted it on Facebook or Twitter or whatever you do. I mean... Man, I learned something good last night. You know, wouldn't that kind of spark some other people say, what's going on over there? Just to be excited to go to church. I mean, how many posts do you really see about someone who says, well, I get to go to church tonight. Oh, man, we went to last church last night and it was great. Don't you think that would make some people curious? Anyways, okay, I've got to get back to the message, all right? So, first of all, one of the first benefits is of training men and women for the ministry. The first benefit is it helps people to learn doctrine. The second benefit is that it helps us to accomplish the Great Commission and preach to every creature. Notice this. Number three is it helps people to prepare for the ministry. It helps people to prepare for the ministry. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, in verse 13. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits in the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by the name, by Jesus, whom Paul preaches. And there were seven sons of one Scivia, a Jew, and a chief of the priest, which did so. And so, depending on your count, seven to nine people. What had happened is that they had been watching the Apostle Paul. They had watched people get healed of their diseases and every stuff. And they said, You know what? We don't have to go to Bible school. We don't have to go to Bible Institute. We can do it ourselves. We watched them to do it. All they did is say some words. So what happened is a band of them, nine of them, went and cornered this one demon-possessed guy in a house. And they said, we adjure you by Jesus Christ. You know, it's almost like one of those faith healers slapping someone on the forehead. Be ye healed! You know, and slaps the demon-possessed guy in the forehead, you know. And they're expecting it just to poof, you know, and the guy's healed. Man, this is what we saw on TV. It's got to work this way, right? So, what happens? Verse 15, And the evil spirit said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are ye? Do you know that there are... Another pause. I'm trying not to go too far, but there's so many good things. Do you know that there are demons watching you now? Do you know that sometimes you don't even get Satan's attention because you're too busy fighting this whole thing? You don't even get any kind of demon's attention until you conquer this flesh first. Until you conquer this flesh, Satan doesn't even want to bother with you. And so this guy says, I know who Paul is. I know Jesus is, but who in the world are you? You're nothing. Who are you? Go away. In fact, he made him go away. Notice what happened, verse 16. And the man whom the evil spirit leapt on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. So you got these seven to nine guys that come in. They go slap this demon on the forehead and said, Be healed! He says, In the name of Jesus, in the name of Paul, I tell you, be healed! And the demon laughs at him and says, I don't know who you... 
you are. And he beats up seven to nine guys, rips up their clothing, whoops the tar out of them, and they run out of the house. Don't you think they're a little unprepared? (laughs) You know, some people get so full of pride. They said, I don't need any training. I can go ahead and follow the Lord and I can do it all by myself. Sorry, forget the accent, but you guys understand what I'm doing. There's nothing wrong with training. There's nothing wrong with stopping and sharpening your axe. It is never wasted time. And we can all use training. We can all use um, more training. We can all use perfecting and sharpening our axe. That is a good thing. And when we're constantly training men and women for the ministry, we're constantly training and helping ourselves and preparing ourselves and perfecting and helping us. Let me tell you, you could, you could learn from someone and learn from their mistakes and avoid the same mistakes. Or you could go out and make the same mistakes they did. You know, we all make mistakes, but it's always better to build off a foundation than start from scratch. And so with training men and women for the ministry, we can help prepare people and help them learn to be a little bit more prepared for what they're going to face out there. And we want to be a help. So a third thing is that it helps people to prepare for the ministry. Notice a fourth thing here. As what are the benefits of training men and women for the ministry? Here's Paul. He's run this Bible Institute two years. All of the people have heard. The first thing is it helps people to learn doctrine. Second thing is it helps us to accomplish the Great Commission to preach the gospel to every creature. Third thing is that it helps prepare people for the ministry. A fourth thing is that it helps clean out the lives of believers. It helps clean out the lives of believers. Notice, if you wouldn't mind, as we go in verse number 17. And this was known to all the Jews and the Greeks also dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and in the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So, now remember, these guys who decided they were going to exercise a demon, they all got got the tar beat out of them and they run like scalded dogs. They're they're embarrassed. And people say, you know what? There's something to this Apostle Paul. (laughs) There's something to this Jesus thing. There's something about the Bible. There's something different about this than these other religious guys over here. And the people said, you know, there's something to this. And it made them pay attention a little bit more. And that many believed, came and confessed and showed their deeds. So what happened is when you watch... Someone who's doing something from the Lord, you want to go to him and ask for help than someone who keeps messing up and failing and whatever else. So they come to Paul. Now, what happens is that many of them start getting convicted. Bible preaching will always bring conviction. Notice verse 19. Many of them also which use curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, what happened is that the power of God through the preaching of his word will bring conviction. And what's going to happen is that people under this conviction are either going to turn toward God or they're going to harden their hearts and they're going to be more resistant to God and they're going to leave. Under good Bible preaching, you can't ride the fence too long. Good Bible preaching is going to cause people to make a decision. I've been there, watch people for being miserable and miserable and miserable. And you're just saying, just surrender to God. Just be obedient to God. And they're getting more and more miserable. Bible preaching, let me tell you, not this cute little frosting preaching stuff where you get something cute, you know. Good Bible preaching should make you think about what you, uh, it should make you different than when you came in than when you went out. You should be different. There should be a decision. There should be something you consider. There should be something that goes on. Bible preaching will bring people to decision making. And what happens is that they're going to make a decision to live right. And after this training men and women for the ministry, after the things that are going on, people went home and they took out their curious arts books, their books on magic, their books on witchcraft, their books on on vampires, their books, on all this other stuff. By the way, that's evil stuff. Harry Potter is not good. Chronicles of Narnia, I don't care if it was written by a quote-unquote Christian guy, is not good. 
this other stuff, you be careful. There's an old legend. Again, I'm full of pauses today. Forgive me. There's an old legend of the vampire that says that a vampire cannot enter into a house unless he is invited. You bring in the Harry Potter. You bring in the Twilight. You bring in that garbage in your house. You are inviting evil spirits into your house and it will not be a house of refuge a house that is protected you need to be careful what happened is that people got convicted and they had an old-fashioned book burning you know i've been a part of a couple churches where they finally had convicted and they were having revival and we had an old-fashioned book burning we had a big dumpster and people brought their stuff. They brought their magazines from underneath their beds. They brought their tapes. They brought their other stuff. We were not expecting how much junk the people brought. And let me tell you, no one was critical saying, you see what so-and-so brought? No, everyone cleared out their closets. Everyone got right. And let me tell you, it did something to the church. When they finally got convicted enough to say, you know what, we're choosing Christ and we're getting rid of this garbage out of our house. It did something to the church. And that's exactly what happened here is that they got convicted and said, Paul, we want to get rid of this. And someone said, oh, you're getting rid of your stuff. Well, I've been thinking about getting rid of my stuff. And the other, and next thing you know, notice how much they had here that someone actually said, well, let's just count how much junk we have here. 50,000 pieces of silver. I forgot the exact amount, but this is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of junk they got rid of. They had an old-fashioned house cleaning. You know, let me tell you, it does a church good when people said, you know what, I'm going to get all my booze, and I'm going to get my cigarettes, and I'm going to get these magazines, and I'm going to get these books, and I'm going to get these DVDs, and I'm going to get these tapes, and we're going to get rid of them. It will clear out your soul. It will clear out your house. It will make your house a sanctuary again. And it will clear up the house of God as well. But good Bible preaching is going to bring people to that place where they're going to make a decision to follow after God. Again, this is a wonderful thing. This is an amazing thing. But it will help clean out the lives of believers. When we're taking the time to actually train people for the ministry instead of giving good fluffy feel good messages what it's going to do is it's going to clean out the lives of believers and help them desire to follow the lord notice there's something else if you wouldn't mind not only does it do all these other things but it also affects the community for god's glory it also affects the community for god's glory now remember i told you last uh time could you imagine what a difference green bay would be if we had 100,000 people reading their Bible every day? Wouldn't that make a difference in the culture here? Good Bible preaching, when we're putting emphasis on training men and women for the ministry, and people are behaving like Christians, and their houses look like Christians, and they're behaving like Christians, it's going to affect the culture. It's going to affect the community. Notice verse 21. And after these things were ended, Paul purposed in the Spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, After I've been there, I must also see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of them that ministered him, Timotheus and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a season. So he sent uh, Timothy and he sent Erastus to go do some uh, prep work for him, and he stayed there at Ephesus. And what happened is that there became a rumbling in the city of Ephesus. At the same time, there arose no small stir. Now, remember, in the English grammar, no small stir means there's a big stir. It's blowing up. There's a lot of things happening about, notice that, that way. Here's that phrase there, that way again. The, pe- the whole community was talking about those Christians. You know what that church did this time? Did you hear what those Christians did? Do you hear what? I mean, I had those people knock on my door. You know, people are talking about those Christians that way, that church, that school. And a certain man by the name of Demetrius, a silversmith that had made silver, silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain. Now, notice that phrasing. I mean, it brought a big gain unto the craftsmen. Now, let me pause and this time for a history lesson, and explain about, the, uh, about Ephesus. Ephesus is one of the most debauched cities there was. What had happened is that um, several hundred years before this time, a mediator had come from the, from the uh, 
skies from the heavens and had crashed into the to the land. And what had happened is that they took that mediator and what they did is they carved a statue of the goddess Diana, who we know as Ishtar, or you may get the word Easter from. She was the fertility goddess. And uh, for because of a mixed audience, I won't describe what the statue looked like, but it was very feminine all over. And what had happened is that in order to worship Ishtar, Easter, or Diana, what they would do is they would actually have temple prostitutes. Forgive mixed audience trying to work. And people would hire these ladies to worship this goddess. And, and it was debauched. To make it worse, that within like a five-block area around the Temple of Diana, they had a law that no one could be arrested within that five-block area. So guess who hung up in that five-block area? People who didn't want to be arrested. And so it was a horrible culture. Uh, there was all kinds of debauched things going on, horrible things that were going on, sinful things going on. And what had happened is that people would travel to this city for the purpose of visiting this temple and participating in those worship things. And what they would do is they had silversmiths who had a little keychain of Diana that they would sell to people. You know, I went and go. Vi- I went to visit Diana, and I could go take this shrine, and I could bring it home, and I could worship Diana at home in front of her. Uh, you know, and people would come, and, and they would get the things. I mean, and people would come to Lambeau Field, and they would get those green. Ja- I mean, sorry. But the people would come, and they would worship. And it was all about that. And the merchandise would sell. And what would happen is that people were making so much money off the merchandise as people would come and visit. And it was the religion of the town. And all of a sudden, because of Paul and the Christians and the Bible Institute, nobody wanted to go to Lambeau. I mean, wanted to go to Diana anymore. And no one was buying any of those trinkets. No one was buying the merchandise. And don't you think when you start messing with people's money, they get quite upset. Imagine, for illustration's sake, nobody bought any Green Bay jackets anymore, Green Bay hats, Green Bay stickers. Don't you think it would mess up the economy of this town? Don't you think it would mess it up a whole lot if no one came to go visit the temple anymore no one came to go see the museums to see the things don't you think it would make a lot of people upset so now they're mad and they have this meeting they gather together uh verse 24 for a certain man by the name of demetrius a silversmith that had brought silver shrines for diana brought no small gain unto the craftsmen whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, you know by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, you see and hear that not alone in Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, notice this, even they admit that Paul and the message had went throughout all of Asia. This Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying they be no gods which are made with hands. So not only this, our craft is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried, Great is the Green Bay of Packard. I mean, great is the Diana of Ephesus. And they began to cry. I'm going to get in trouble for this. I'm going to get hate mail. Forgive me. But anyways, it says, Great is the Diana of Ephesus. And they were crying out. They had this big meeting and they're crying out and they're screaming out the best they can. And they're letting everyone know. And now they've worked themselves to a frenzy. And now they just need a mob. And the whole city was filled with confusion and having caught Gaius and 
Articus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord they, to the theater. So they caught two of Paul's companions. They caught two of these Christians teaching at the school. And they taught them and they went to Lambo. I mean, they went to the theater again. And they brought him into the middle of this arena. They brought him there. We got two of them. These are the people that are making people not come to this theater anymore. These are the people that are coming and not to worship in the temple anymore. And when Paul would have entered into the people, the disciples suffered him not. Paul said, hey, they got two of my guys there. I'm going to go up there and I'm going to confront them. And the people held him back and said, no, you can't go. They see you. They're going to kill you. And they had to hold him back. They physically had to restrain Paul. And certain of the chief of Asia, so certain of the leaders of Asia, which were his friends, went into him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself to the theater. It took officials from the city to come and say, Paul, don't go. They're going to kill you if they see you. Don't go. I mean, let's let these guys, we're we're not going to leave them out to dry. But if you go out there, it's going to make it worse. You cannot go. So they're holding back Paul. Some therefore cried one thing and another, for the assembly was confused and the more of the part knew not what they came together. What happened is that these silversmiths uh, put everyone in a frenzy. They all came to the field and most of the people don't even know why they're there, or why they're mad. They just know that everyone's mad. And so people are kind of confused. And then they drew Alexander out of the multitude and the Jews putting him forward. So what happened is they grabbed Alexander and they pulled him up front and said, here's one of these guys, the Jews are pushing him up. Here's one of the bad guys, push him out. And so he's standing there and everyone's staring at him. And Alexander beckoned with a hand that he would make his defense to the people. But what happened, he stood out there and he raised his hands and says, he was fixing to say something. And as soon um, when he... Uh, they knew that he was a Jew with one voice for the space of two hours cried out, great is the Diana of Ephesus. Could you imagine a hundred thousand people or more screaming for two hours? Great is the Diana of Ephesus. Great is the green page. I, I mean, great is the Diana of Ephesus. Great is the for two hours screaming out loud with nonstop. I mean, this is a crowd that's in a frenzy. This is this is a this is chaos and when the town's clerk had appeared with the people he said ye men of ephesus what man is there that knoweth not how the city of ephesus is a worshiper of the great goddess diana and the image that fell down from jupiter they're talking about this mediator that had come down and so they said it was a gift of the gods and so they carved out a god out of this gift Seeing that these things were not spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and do nothing rashly. For we have brought hither these men, which neither robbed of robbers of churches, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Oops, I think I just messed up here. <laughs> they said, these guys didn't say anything bad about Diana. They haven't robbed your churches. They haven't done anything wrong. They're just telling people and people are listening. They haven't done anything wrong. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen are with him, have a matter against him, the law is open, and there are deputies, let them implead one another. Basically, they said, you shouldn't do this mob mentality. If the silversmith have a problem and they want to sue this guy, they want to take him to court, let him go to court. But not in a mob. This is not the way to handle things. But if you inquire anything of any other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly. This assembly was not lawful. For we are in danger to be called into question of this day's uproar, that there be no um, cause whereby that we can give an account of this concourse. You know, if they had this mob mentality and they start killing Christians and the government gets started saying, hey, what in the world happened here? Why are you guys rioting in the streets? Because some Christians said, told us about Jesus. What kind of excuse is that? They're saying, we can't justify killing these guys and having a riot and overthrowing cars and all this other stuff. And when he had thus spoken, he dismissed the assembly. He said, go home, <laughs> leave. Yeah, so God took care of these people here, the, the Christians that were there. You say, this is what's going to happen if we train men and women for the ministry. What I am saying is that it's going to have an impact in our community. It is going to have an impact in our community when we start telling people about the Lord when we start teaching, teaching them what the Bible says, when we as a whole learn what the Bible says, and we're going out and telling people about it, it will impact our community. It will change the community. 
let me tell you, this is the best way to change the community than some of the other programs that are going out that other churches are doing. It is much better to get someone saved and in their Bible than just giving them a piece of bread and, and letting them come back week after week. Just You understand what I mean? It's best for them to get saved. This is what they need the most. And this is what's going to change our community. And you know what? It still works. And there's benefits for for telling, for training men and women for the ministry. Now, I told you at the beginning, if I had one chapter that would just highlight what God has given me to do, it's this, the idea of the school of one Tyrannus, to teach people about the gospel, to teach them how to go tell other people, to go and to train men and women so they can go all throughout the country, go throughout the world, telling everyone about Jesus Christ. And while we're teaching the other people, we're teaching you. We're teaching the church. The church is working together. By the way, I cannot, I cannot accomplish the idea of starting a Bible institute, running a Bible institute, unless the church is with us. And they believe that this is what God has given us to do. And they take their place. And they do their part. Everyone has to be involved. This isn't just a one-person show. Everyone has a part. Everyone has something to do here. And so basically, if I was to give you something, I'm going to say, this is what the Lord is leading us to. And the decision I want you to make is I want you to say, Lord, I want you to help me to back this. I want you to see for yourself. By the way, God's not going to tell you something different about the direction of the church than he's going to tell me. If we go to God, he's going to tell us the same thing. I want you to believe that this is what God wants us to do, not because I said so, but because you believe the Lord wants us to do it for yourself. That way we can all get on board. It's not pastor's dream. This is what the church should be doing. And that we believe together this is what God would have us to do. And we have to go together because there's going to be things. We're going to need land. We're going to need a building. We're going to need curriculum. We're going to need teachers. We're going to need this type of stuff. We're going to need people who are going to be discipling. We're going to need people who are going to be doing other things. We have all kinds of things that need to be done and things that need to go on. Now, I know that we're not going to start a Bible Institute tomorrow. But this is what we're heading towards. This is what God has given us to do. You know what? One thing you need to be doing now, taking advantage of the pastor and learning, being a student. Get excited for these things. Say, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to learn something else. Man, I need to tell someone what I learned last night. I want to tell someone what I learned on Sunday. I want to be excited about the things. I want to look in my Bible for myself. I want to dig and try to find the new things. Not that anything's new, but new to you. And say, man, I've never seen this. This is great. This is what I want for you. This is what, what, what level that we're at right now. That as I'm teaching and preaching... This is your chance to ask questions. This is your chance to learn. This is your chance to kind of say, all right, just teach me. This is your chance to be settled on doctrine. This is your chance to get away from wondering, you know, well, this is what I believe because of pepperoni pizza. This is what I believe. This is your time to get anchored down in the word of God and to learn what the Bible says for yourself and to make decisions and to make convictions and to say, this is what I believe that we should be doing as a church together. And that's the main thing, is that we have to believe, we have to go together. So a leader who's a leader who no one will follow is just on a long walk. We have to go together. And so I'm just telling you what the Lord has given me to do. And I want you to be aware of it. And I want you to be in prayer. And I want you to be convinced that this is what we should be doing together.